Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Live Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and it's been a while uh, since I've been able to do an actual live broadcast because I just kept getting sick or having a resurgence of COVID. And as I understand, if you had COVID the first time, it stays in your system and will uh, very potentially come back, resurge, uh, again or flare back up uh, because the virus hadn't been completely eradicated and it's exactly what I had to face and oh boy what a thrill it was to have to deal with it twice but I thank God for living around a bunch of farmers who have some farming sense who understand the way of things and and provided the help that I needed to actually beat this thing and thank the Lord we're able to do this broadcast today. So so my voice might be a little scratchy, but everything's well, and we're going to dive right into John chapter number 3 and pick up where we left off with the conversation that was happening with Jesus in Nicodemus. So let's get started. Father, we are grateful for everything that you have done. We thank you, Lord, for your deliverance. We thank you, Father, for your wisdom and for everything that you have done. We're grateful for for you being our life and allowing us to live through you. We pray that you will bless those who need to receive this today, Lord, that they receive it. We pray for those who believe that they know it when they really don't know much, Lord, that they may be able to recognize their place with Nicodemus and that they may be able to change. We pray for those who humbly come before you seeking your face Desiring to turn from their wicked ways, Father, that you will hear us, that you will forgive us, and that you will heal us. We we're grateful, Lord, for everything that you're about to do in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, in a reading of the Word of God, we're actually going to start uh, where we left off at the last broadcast in John chapter number 3, which was verse number 15. So we're going to pick up verse number 16, and we're going to run at least to verse number 21 in this section that we're going to talk about today. And then before that, we're going to do an overview of everything that was above it, just so that we can kind of keep up with what's going on while we get in it. So the scripture in verse number 16 begins, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that he may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So as an overview, before we start diving into our text today, we remember that this Nicodemus, he was a ruler of the Jews, which means that he was was a high Pharisee. He was a part of what is called Sanhedrin court. And that court sits a, a panel of 70 judges that would be from the Pharisaical order and from the Sadduceeical order. And the scribes would, of course, be there 
as the note takers of the decisions and things that would come down and as well as the the authors or writers transcribers as it would be of the bible and so you've got these this nicodemus he's a part of that sanhedrin court he is a he's a well-respected and recognized rabbi of the pharisaical order even among his counterparts in the sadducees which really can't stand the pharisees because they are the levitical priesthood and so they they do not see necessarily a legitimacy to the the uh, pharisaical order because that's something that was born out of the captivities that they were in in Babylon and then in Persia with the destruction of the temple. So the, the Sadducees really didn't see a value in the Pharisees because there is a temple now, so everybody should be operating under the Sadduceeical law as it was, but they weren't. They, the local communities were gathering in their synagogues in only a couple of times a year, three times a year in specific, being Pesach, being Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks, being Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, be the three times of the year that they would they would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to honor God in those feasts that God had told them to be together in Jerusalem. But otherwise, they just obeyed and followed whatever their uh, Pharisees within their local synagogues would tell them. But nevertheless, this Nicodemus, he is recognized as a, a very important man among the Sadducees as well, as well as the Pharisees, and that's why they call him a ruler of the Jews. And of course, he comes to Jesus by night. The reason why he's coming to Jesus by night is because he's trying to understand Jesus. He actually has some questions that he wants to speak with Jesus about so that he can better understand what Jesus is trying to say. Is This isn't a scenario where this is a Pharisee who's trying to debate with Jesus to make Jesus trip up like so many others that we read through the Gospels and so that he could have him arrested. This is a guy that's actually trying to get to know Jesus or trying to understand Jesus' teachings, get, get these things explained to him. <clears throat> so needless to say, Nicodemus, he's not a bad guy. As he comes to Jesus, he puts out that point of flattery where he says, I know that you're a teacher that have come from God because all these miracles that you've done, nobody could do them unless God was with him. <clears throat> but of course, Jesus, he, he dances right past that. In verse number three, he says, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot first see the kingdom of God. And understand that the sight that is being referred to is not the sight of the eyes. Like right now, I'm, I'm looking into a camera that, that's staring at you on the screen. And, and likewise, you're looking at a screen thinking that I'm looking at you, in which case I am because I'm staring at the camera that represents you. But these aren't the eyes that Jesus is referring to as far as being able to see the kingdom of God. That the sight that is being referred to is given to us by the Holy Spirit of God that is inside of us, that has connected us to this kingdom, causing us to experience this kingdom. As we come together with brethren at the mall or at the grocery store, as we come together with other brethren at work or at school, as we come together with with brethren at church, certainly, or all of these different venues and places where we 
come together as brethren. There we see the kingdom of God. There we have a moment to experience the kingdom of God as we have come together. Now, nobody around us is understanding what's happening. Nobody around us really even cares because they're still in the kingdom of this world under the prince of the power of the air. But us and the people that are believers with us as we gather together and as we rejoice in Jesus together wherever we are, there we're seeing the kingdom of God in action because there we are experiencing the the Holy Spirit together in that place. That is the sight that Jesus is telling Nicodemus that isn't going to happen for him unless he sees, unless he is born again. Now, in in church yesterday, we're talking about the sanctity of life, but we talked about the sanctity of life from the perspective of John 3. And it was brought up as a very important point that Nicodemus believed that he was a part of the kingdom already. All of Israel believes that they are part of the kingdom. You see, all of Israel believes that they, they are a part of a covenant kingdom that is established through their birth connection to Israel as being a part of the 12 tribes. And at the eighth day of their circumcision, that would bring them into the the covenant of Abraham and making them a full-fledged Israelite. And at the 13th year, 12th to 13th year of their life, when they go through what is called their bar mitzvah, which means that they become a son of the commandments and a bat mitzvah as a daughter of the commandments for the girls and for the boys, respectively. But that they, that they, at the point of their circumcision and at their bar or bat mitzvah, that they become uh, a part of the kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God is being referenced to the millennial reign of Christ, a thousand-year rule of Christ that is recognized in Revelation 20 and its execution. And so th- that this Nicodemus, he would already see that he was a part of the kingdom of God because he was circumcised the eighth day. He was a Pharisee, as a ru- ruler of the Jews. He 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 was uh, he had completed bar mitzvah. He's a son of the commandments. So of course, he's he's already uh, going to be a part of the kingdom of God. And yet Jesus says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And or as we just discovered, that you you can't experience that. Now you're sitting right there with the king of the kingdom and you're not getting what he's saying. And that's the point of being able to see the kingdom of God. Unless you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, having repented of your sins, you're not going to be able to grasp this truth. You're not going to be able to experience what Jesus is saying because it's it's disconnected from you. And, and as close as one kingdom can be to another kingdom, it's like the Hatfields and the McCoys as it was with this 80-year feud that happens between these two people. And, and you, you've got this, this son and this daughter from the, from the two respective ends that, that come together and, and have met together and, and fall in love together and they want to get married together. But because of this feud, they cannot see that there is no feud anymore. All they can see is this feud, and so they cannot accept the love of these two young people that would have for each other because all they see is that rage of feud, and that's that's the way it was for Nicodemus. He already saw that he was a part of the kingdom of God, and so he wouldn't be able to see that he needed 
Jesus in order to become a part of Jesus's kingdom. But keeping in mind, they did not see Jesus also as a king. They simply saw him as a good teacher. They, they simply saw him as a, maybe a motivational speaker, but they did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah, son of David, as the king of the kingdom. And so it doesn't understand to begin with. But Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He can't experience it. It isn't going to be real to him. He isn't going to be alive to the kingdom because he is not sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. And Jesus is not his king yet. And so this totally throws Nicodemus off his rocker. It's like, what? At verse number four, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? What is this born again business? And there are so many people out there who who don't understand even to this day. They're like, what is this born again? You keep talking about this born again. It, it used to be a big thing, especially through the Southern Baptist Convention back in the 90s. They, they were constantly talking about being born again. But I remember hearing Scuttlebutt, a bunch of people talking all over the place with these people, their born again message. What are they trying to say? What, are the, what does their message mean? Well, born again is just that. It, it's the reality that Jesus teaches here in verse number five. He says, unless one is born in the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter. Now, the first time he said he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now he's talking about being able to even enter the kingdom of God. And so when we, we talked about yesterday, if you want a detailed explanation of this, just watch the church service on Martin Baptist Church Facebook page yesterday. But the reality of the water that's being referred to is not your baptism. It's the it's the very birth that you would have, that, that first and natural birth that you would experience as you uh, chased the water through the channel out of mom. And thus, you would be born in, in the natural as in the flesh. Now, keep in mind that as it would reveal in first corinthians chapter number two that the natural man cannot perceive the things of god neither can he know them before they're spiritually discerned we're discovering that reality as jesus is talking with nicodemus because nicodemus in his natural estate just can't grasp the idea of not being able to see the kingdom of god when he thinks he is a part of the kingdom of god already so he, he isn't catching on to the point of experience that Jesus is talking about. And now Jesus tells him, unless he's born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, Nicodemus again would believe himself to be born of water, not because Nicodemus understands the birthing process, but the Jewish people go through several mikvahs throughout their, their time. <clears throat> Nicodemus would believe himself to be connected through the bar mitzvah that he would go through, which is very similar to confirmation, uh, which would be in the Catholic or Lutheran church. They go through the confirmation about 12 or 13 years old, except in Israel at the point of their, their bar mitzvah, they would, re they would receive of mikvah, which, which mikvah would be a baptism. And so that they would be baptized at that point. And, and all baptisms in, in, in Israel are full immersion. So full immersion baptism, they've been happening for centuries 
even millennia before the Catholic Church decides to say, no, we're just going to sprinkle, <laughs> or, or some churches do pouring. But immersion has been the method which has been used uh, even by Israel as, as far back as, as recorded history for the, the people of Israel and Jacob. So needless to say, uh, immersion is a pretty standard form. But nevertheless, this is something that would have already been familiar to to Nicodemus. And so when you say, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, Nicodemus has already considered that. Well, of course, he'd been born of the water. He'd been baptized into the, into the ministry of being a Pharisee at the 30 years of age. He's been baptized through the, the bar mitzvah that he's had. He's been circumcised. Praise God. I mean... How much more connected do I need to be? Needless to say, it's it's a point of, of irritation, really, if you think about it, to Nicodemus because Jesus keeps bringing up this born again. But it just doesn't make sense to Nicodemus. He just can't grasp this, this idea because it hasn't happened to him. And this is a truth that is that is a reality for a lot of people is that they believe themselves to be saved they were they were coaxed at four years old through six years old. They're, they they were asked these questions: Do you want to go to hell or do you want to go to heaven? And of course, you know you're 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 easily uh, conformed to whatever the teachers are asking you. And they say, "Okay, we'll pray this prayer after me." And you're praying after them because you couldn't pray on your own anyways. You didn't have the cognitive ability to put that together. And, and then they say, congratulations, you're saved. And then the pastor's talking to you, you need, you need to be baptized. And of course, you're six years, seven years old, and, and you're being led through all of this. So the, the salvation that you have is actually the people's salvation, but it isn't necessarily your faith in Jesus unto a, a genuine salvation. So you grow up inoculated from the gospel, just like Nicodemus would have been, believing himself to already be a part of the kingdom. This instruction that Jesus has given him is is really water off a duck's back because it's already taken care of that. So Jesus, why do you keep sticking around on this? But the reality is, is that the new birth experience can only happen as, as God leads a person to salvation. Not when a person coaxes another person to say words to be saved, but when God leads that heart unto a saving knowledge of Christ. It's two different things. And trust me, I I know because I've got four baptism certificates having been coached through prayers and, and agreements with scriptures and several different occasions. But there was one moment where where God literally grabbed a hold of my soul through the Holy Spirit and revealed Jesus to me. And it was that moment that is truth to my salvation that happened June 29th, year 2000, will never be forgotten because this is such an amazing work that only God could do. No coercion from people trying to convince me to agree with scriptures or pray a prayer or anything else was going to do this. Only God can do this amazing work inside of a dead man. And that's kind of important to understand as well as Jesus talking about this new birth as being born again is because babies that, that come into the world come alive and, and 
in their lifetime, even though they're born, they're born in sin, their lifetime is a lifetime of growing cold, of growing hard, of growing up in the environment of corruption that they come into. And they need revival. They need to be revived. They need to be born again. They come alive once more. And that's very important is because dead people aren't looking for God. Dead people aren't looking for life. Dead people are only going through the motions of what it is to be dead and have no inert ability of themselves to be able to look for life or to accept life or to become life. Only God can bring life into death and death be taken away from life. Only God can do that. And so Nicodemus is really messed up here. Jesus goes on and he explains the water. He says that which is born of the flesh is flesh in connection to what he says, unless one is born of, of water. He says that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And then he explains what the spirit is here. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. It's two different births, two different people entirely. And he says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Then he goes on to explain the nature of the, of the spirit within us as concerning the sight of the kingdom. Remember, he's the first time he said you cannot see the kingdom. He says the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. The wind blows. Well, obviously, air molecules are something that we just cannot see. If you look around the room at this moment that you're sitting in or look around the car or look around, look outside, go outside, air is all around you. Air is going to be experienced. Every time you draw your lungs, fill up, you draw air in, you're, you're rejoicing because without air, we don't live. And so air is all around you and it's experienced. You, you know the effects of it because you're still alive. You know the effects of it because you can speak. You can, you can bend that air through the larynx tubes to be able to, to make sound. And it all comes from air being expelled from the lungs in a force that would, would channel that air to make those sounds. And so you, you, there's a lot about wind. There's a lot about air that, that you can know, but you can't see it. Now, we have weather vanes. We have, we have wind vanes that that will point out the direction of the wind as it is blowing. But the reality is, is that we cannot see the wind blowing. We have to have implements to be able to help us understand which way the wind is blowing. Because if we did not have those implements, then we would not be able to know which way the wind is blowing. And so it's very important for us to understand the work of the Spirit is happening inside of believers. And those believers look just like everybody else in the world, except for that connection of the Spirit that's in us that brings us to them, and a fellowship is born in that connection. All of these things being done without anybody being able to see what is happening. This is the fellowship of the Spirit. This is the, the nature of the new birth and being born again. And Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can these things be? And needless to say, Jesus puts a little smack down when he says, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? How can these things be? It's, it's of course, very confusing to a person who is not saved because it, it's, it's pulling them, pulling at their heart 
to, to force them into a different way of thinking. Note the fact that Jesus isn't here saying, well, listen, Nicodemus, just pray this prayer after me and, and you'll all you'll understand it all after. Just do you, do you agree with this? Do you agree with that? Do you agree with the other? Okay, just pray this prayer after me. That That's not the case. Jesus has challenged Nicodemus to the core of his heart. He's challenged him with the word of God and, and with the teachings that he has given him. And then Jesus is basically walking away from him. Nicodemus and Jesus are going to part ways. And, and you're going to find that Nicodemus ultimately comes to faith in Jesus as his Messiah, as his king, and enters that kingdom. Amen. But it isn't because he prayed a prayer necessarily or because of all of these other things that we utilize as gimmicks to be able to get people to be saved. It's because he came to faith in Messiah. Hallelujah. And this is the way it ought to be with us today. We talked about the work that Jesus was doing with Nicodemus and he comes down and he says this amazing truth in verse number 13. He says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. Uh, recognizing that that lifting up of the serpent in the wilderness of course, when you cross-reference that, you're going to be looking at Numbers chapter number 21 and verse 7 and 9, but it actually happens up about verse number 5, as it was revealed that when the people were murmuring against Moses, they were complaining against God, there they were in the wilderness, and they, they, they were just upset that God sent these fiery serpents. Now, the concept of a fiery serpent simply is in its natural form of venomous snakes. The concept of fiery, as it is in this word, it connotates the venom by which the snakes, these vipers, which desert vipers are known to have, by the way, in which case when you are bitten by these, these snakes, that the venom, as it courses through your veins, it feels like you're on fire before it seizes your respiratory system and basically causes you to suffocate but needless to say what they call them fiery serpents is the the connection to their venom as they're venomous snakes they're in that desert and uh, the people began to die which prompted them to come to moses and that's where we pick up in verse number seven of numbers 21 it said the people came to moses and said we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. <laughs> well, <laughs> repentance is very important when, when the judgment of God is readily upon you, isn't it? When you're recognizing the judgment of God as, as, as dealing with you, there's nothing but repentance that, that must be had, because otherwise, I mean, it's just a certain death. So this people say, pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. I mean, why don't they pray to God? I mean, it isn't like Moses had to be a mediator for them. It's just that the people were so afraid of God, they chose Moses to be a mediator. But they could have prayed to God just the same, just like you and just like I. We, we can individually go before the Lord and ask for the Lord for his blessing, for his forgiveness, for whatever we need to ask the Lord, protection and encouragement or courage. We could ask God for anything. But the reality is, is that, that often we find ourselves so afraid or so unbelieving 
that we don't even talk to God. We, we look to other people. But that's just shown to us in Scripture. So needless to say, they, they asked Moses, speak to God for us. And so Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses in verse number 8, make a fiery serpent. In other words, make a, an image of one of these venomous snakes that I, that I brought into the camp and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. You look and live. There's a beautiful song that used to be sung in churches. I wish it was today. <clears throat> we'll have to find it. But it's called Look and Live. And it's it's a song that was built upon this very section of scriptures and is a song of praise to recognize that if we look to the Lord, if we look to Jesus as, as he was revealed in John chapter 3 and verse number 14, if I be lifted up in the wilderness, just like... It was, so Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Jesus is making his connection to this particular fiery serpent that was lifted up on this pole. And by the way, it's the same image that we have of the medical association in the United States. That, that serpent that's up on the pole, it's got the wings off to the side, is, is recognized if you look to this establishment, then, then you will be able to live longer is what the what the medical association, what they were intending for that is to bring to the mind of the religious people that if they trusted in the medical association that they would be able to live longer because God has established them as a means to be able to provide health care. Needless to say, at one time I might have agreed with that, but in our modern society I see that the health care system is more about the money that it's making than it is about the genuine care of the people's lives that it's stringing along until it can sap you for the last dime and then killing you off. So I'm not exactly a big fan at the moment. But nevertheless, Moses was commanded to make this fiery serpent, set it on a pole so that everyone who was bitten when he sees it should live. And so Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, revealed in verse 9, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So it was very important to understand Jesus making the connection to himself. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And why? Because God loves you. Plain and simple. God loved you. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The gift of God. As recognized also in Romans chapter number 6 and verse number 23, as clearly said, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we understand the love of God is, is revealed in the gift of God that He has given in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that would be for whoever believes. Whoever believes. Now, Belief is something that is interesting because belief isn't something that man generates from within himself to, to turn to God. Belief is something that God generates in man to be received for himself. And so it is important to understand that, that even, even though you may meet a lot of people that tell you that they believe in God, that they believe in Jesus... That doesn't mean that they have a saving knowledge or a, a saving, uh, being saved at all. Uh, just a simple belief 
is is generated from man within man it is not what god has generated inside of man to draw him to himself and so there were a multitude of people that would have been around jesus during the time of his being lifted up on the cross of calvary but very few of those people ever came to a faith in jesus even though they believed in him they believed he was real they believed he was a good teacher they believed that that he did a lot of good things they believed several things about jesus but it never truly accepted or received the reality of his being messiah of his being the king and so that even in james in chapter number two james would tell us that you believe that there is one god you do well but the devils believe also and tremble so this is something that must come from God to draw us, right? That's what he said. As the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him, whoever is drawn to him, whoever is led to him by God. Remember, dead people cannot produce faith. God must produce faith inside of a dead person to bring them to life. It's pretty exciting when you start studying out these issues. And you must always come from the precept of being a dead person. (laughs) Because this is what the scripture reveals about people without God or people outside of salvation, that they're dead. And that their death will be sealed unto an eternity if they do not receive Christ as their Lord and Savior to bring them out of that death and into his marvelous life. So we find that the love of God is recognized in those who believe that that receive eternal life as they have received God, as he has led them to himself. And this is what he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The point, God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. And God didn't need to send Jesus into the world to condemn the world because the world already stood condemned before God. At the point of Adam and the transgression of the eating of the fruit that he was commanded not to eat, condemnation began upon this world. And so indeed, God didn't send his world, his son into this world to condemn the world. This is the love of God that his son would come into an already condemned world so that those who receive him could be saved. And that's exactly what the end of verse number 17 says, that in order that the world might be saved through him, and comes down and says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. And and that's the reality of that which was dead coming alive. It's the the sight of the kingdom of God. It's the entrance of the kingdom of God as being translated out of death and into life, as it would be said in Romans chapter number 12, verse number two, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind to that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. So we understand that that whoever comes to faith the word belief is in connection to the point of faith it comes to faith in jesus is not condemned the condemnation that he well deserved before his faith is is separated from him because jesus gives this person 
his life and seals this person with his life through the Holy Spirit that he can never be separated from God that once more because he who has now come to life has entered into eternal life he cannot lose this life he cannot be separated from this life he is sealed unto this life unto the day of redemption of the purchased possession as revealed in Ephesians chapter number 1 and between verses 12 and 16 he cannot lose what God has sealed him with and that that's kind of important because in the Arminian belief there there is a position in the Arminian belief that believes that, that, that a believer can choose to accept Christ but can also choose to separate themselves from Christ and walking away from the faith is walking away from salvation and they can they can be saved or they can be lost and it can go back and forth but the reality of scripture shows that when a person is born again that there is no walking away that there is no separation that there can never be before all the things that God does he does for eternity everything is sealed in Christ for eternity Jesus said all that the father gives me I shall not lose one and I shall in no way cast any of them out but this is the concept is all that the father gives me so this is important to realize that your salvation was not even a decision that you made as evaluating the benefits the cons and the pros of what it would be to be saved your salvation was actually a, a God-driven, uh, a God-driven point where where your confession, your repentance, everything is is led from God through you, and that that God seals you with His Holy Spirit, regenerates you through the Holy Spirit, and that you become a child of God and and there is no way that Jesus is going to reject what God has brought to him and that is in John chapter 6 and we'll get there but that's a very important point that you you've got to hold on to and so he, he reveals he says whoever believes in him is not condemned and neither could be condemned <clears throat> but whoever does not believe is condemned already and of course, I mean, from the point of a person's birth, without a belief in Jesus, they face a condemnation because death, they're born dead, <laughs> as it was. He says, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You don't have faith in Jesus, you're not going to live. You need Christ. And, and thus the judgment. In verse number 19, Jesus says that this is the judgment. You say, well, what, what, what is the judgment? Well, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Okay, now we, we go back to John chapter number 1, right? In him was light, and that light was the life of men. We look at Luke chapter number 2, where he says, where he says those who have dwelled in darkness have seen a great light the angels speaking to the shepherds we we see in matthew chapter number two and in luke chapter number one in the conversation of the angel with joseph or the conversation of the angel with 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 mary and and they talk about jesus and he is the light of the world and that many will receive a remission of their sins through him he is that light that has come into the world but men love darkness and this is the judgment that light has come into the world, but people love 
the darkness. Now, the darkness is the is the wickedness. It's the evil things that the flesh desires. It's it's the uh, lust of the eyes. It's the lust of the flesh. It's the pride of life. It's those evil things that the flesh desires that separate a person from God. And so people love the darkness rather than the light because there are works were evil, or as it would say in the King James Bible, their deeds were evil continually. Well, recognize the word evil here. We think of the word evil and we say, well, this is really bad things, but that's not the meaning of this word evil. That thing which is evil is simply in standard that which is less than the goodness of God. Well, at that, there are a lot of things that have become evil because if it isn't up to the standard of God's goodness, then it is considered evil before God. So there are plenty of upright, plenty of moral, plenty of, of upstanding people that are in this world are going to go to hell. Why? Because they were evil. Not that they were uh, horned devils with pitchforks serving the, the the wicked one and doing all kinds of evil, like what we would consider wicked or devilish things, but because their, their standard of righteousness and the good things that they have done and the moral people that they have been and all of these things does not measure up to the standard of God. And anything that does not measure to the standard of God who is good, remember that that, that rich young ruler that came to Jesus and said, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? There's none good but one. That is God. So Jesus even establishes the standard of goodness is God. Aside from God, everything else would be less than that good would be considered evil. So please just understand that when you see this, this works, and as being said in verse number 19 of John 3, their works were evil. Understand that those works are, are not necessarily things that are bad, but that they are simply things that are not God-ordained or God-led. This is evil. So he comes down and, and he tells us in verse number 20, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Why are you doing what you're doing? What is the purpose behind your actions and activities? What is the desire? Is it lust of the flesh? Is it lust of the eyes? Is it pride of life? Why, 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 why? And, and so we don't want the reality of the reason why we do the things that we do. We don't want that exposed. And so we don't come to Jesus because Jesus is going to expose us. We don't want that. He comes down, verse 21, he says, But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God, and not ashamed. Just like the Apostle Paul said over in Romans chapter number 1, verse number 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He's, he's prepared to share the gospel with everyone. Well, now, it, you know, believers in our modern day, you ask them to even share their testimony with somebody, they're shaking in their boots. They don't want to talk to people. They don't want to reveal nothing. They don't want to talk to other people about the gospel. You you ask them to share a, a message of the gospel w with another person. Now, witnessing is what we would call it today. People are scared. I don't, know what I, I don't know what I would say. I don't know how to present myself. I wouldn't know what to approach people. I don't know anything about it. I'm afraid of it, and I'm not going to do it. Period. Boom. The door is shut. But th this is not the reality of having Christ in you. And this is one of those places where I say, well, Dean, are you truly saved? I mean, the scripture does tell us to search out our own salvation with fear and trembling, right? So are you truly saved? Because 
if you truly had Jesus in you, you wouldn't be afraid to talk about Jesus outside of you. You wouldn't be afraid to reveal Jesus. And the scripture even clearly tells us that whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that that the sharing of the gospel or that the purpose is behind his desire to see or her desire to see other people be saved or come to faith. It would be clearly seen is that the works that they're doing have been carried out in God, that your whole drive, your whole purpose would be for God. And so if this be a reality, then there wouldn't be anything to be afraid of. Sharing a testimony of how you came to faith in Christ in three minutes or sharing sharing the gospel with someone. By the way, your testimony is not the gospel. It can help a person relate to the gospel, but your your testimony of how you got saved is just your testimony. It is not the gospel. But you can present the gospel through that, is explaining the scriptures as you go about being wretched sinner and about the 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 moment of your connection with God and about the the way in which the Holy Spirit has changed you from what you were after your salvation and the reality of the gospel can be revealed through your testimony as you talk to people but you got to talk to people and your 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 desires will be clearly seen as being carried out in god if those desires be true otherwise you're wicked and so many people hide from this when they should be out there proclaiming it but that's my time for today. We'll pick up John chapter number 3, verse 22 tomorrow and uh, talk about the baptism that uh, is going to reveal Jesus to the world. Very exciting moments that will happen here. So, Father, we thank you. Ask your blessing upon us as we consider these truths today and, and that you will be with us this night. Lord, if there be one that needs truly to be born again, Father, give them courage, give them faith, give them ability to be born again this day. We'll praise you and thank you for the, the blessing of the kingdom and ask that you will go before us, Lord, and, and guide us along this way. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> God bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, and I'll catch you tomorrow for John chapter 3 and verse 22 following. Take care, guys.